everybody thank you all for being here we of course are watching you on restream and we're going to set up we have a twitter space to set up from which we will take some calls hopefully uh today paulina pinsky joins us uh last time she was here she was in at about three or four months of sobriety and she wanted to come back and share her growth and perspectives now that she's uh 16 months or so out into her sobriety so we will get her thoughts on that we get your calls and she'll be with me about 30 to 40 minutes and then i want to lay out um my thoughts and changes in my thinking as it pertains to the lab leak hypothesis and what to look for and uh, how we and moreover how we all need to keep an open mind as it goes to every topic and talk a little bit about how people are either angry and aggressive and projecting or they're withdrawing and becoming sort of siloed and angry and paranoid and how we have to all fight against all those things so i'll be right back after this our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And let's get right into it. Welcome, Paulina Pinsky. Hello. Hi th hello there. Hello, let's, hello. Hang on. Let's bring her on in. There we are. Oh. There we are. Wow. Welcome. So you. Uh, do you want to give your thoughts on what brought you back? Or I've got Kevin Sabet on hold here over at the uh, Twitter spaces. He'll be a very interesting resource for you to talk to. Yeah. But uh, should we get your thoughts first? Or you want to go straight out to Kevin? Well, I just want to course correct. I do not have 16 months. I have like 14. I don't want to say i have more time than i do so 441 December, days january february march wait am i doing my math wrong mm. oh no it was the end of december i counted december, december yeah, as a whole month okay. yeah yeah um yeah but i'm open to talk to anybody i don't have an agenda other than to be like hi hello it's been a long time since i last saw you and um yeah i i look back on that live stream from you know when i was like maybe 90 days sober which is only three months in and how different everything feels from then and sort of you know i think as an artist and a writer and committed to changing in public and i think um i wanted the opportunity to be like uh, you can make a difference it makes a huge difference and so i'm just here to i don't know do whatever you want to talk to me about kind let's of thing. explain what your uh, addiction was I was a very very addicted to marijuana uh, I'm sorry to tell you weed is addictive um, when I was on the live stream last that felt like a very dangerous thing to say because it gets so much pushback and from my where I'm standing I think a lot of the rhetoric used to legalize marijuana is backfiring so much so that people believe that it's not addictive that is only medicine um, and you know I will tell people you know I'm, I'm I was addicted to marijuana and they'll look at me and be like but it's not addictive um, and I think you know a lot of the rhetoric used to legalize legalize is backfiring you know i think we should be thinking about marijuana like we think about big tobacco and the narratives that we're being sold aren't necessarily the truth um but i couldn't get past 11 a.m without smoking um i had can cannabinoids hyperemesis where um, i was ingesting so much weed that i was vomiting every day um and you know in the larger culture we don't hear about marijuana addiction i think 
mostly because it, it is seen as this panacea and it's a spiritual tool and all these things, which it very much can be. But also it feels like there isn't um, a spectrum of conversation there. And I think for a lot of people, it brings up feelings of anger because we have been told it is all these things, but also because when we hear that it's addictive, it makes us think about our own behaviors. And so I'm not here to say that you're addicted to marijuana. I'm here to say that I was addicted to marijuana and that my life is so much better now that I am completely abstinent from any drugs and alcohol. And that's because I um, have the gene. And I, um, yeah, I'm just here to say that, you know, if you're suffering, if you're experiencing depression and anxiety and you're smoking weed all the time, it's probably the weed. You also mentioned last time, which was actually, uh, you educated me a little bit about yeah. the fact that if you're doing dabs, if you're bringing a blowtorch out, yeah. it's time to start to look into yeah, things. Yeah, you're taking weed to a very methy degree. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, if, for those of us who are not familiar with dabs, um, weed can come in flour and tinctures. Uh, dabs are highly concentrated oils. So, um, you know, a, a joint in the 60s was like 0.5% THC. And uh, for this is all from my understanding, and I'm, I'm open to having conversation and learning more. Um, but again, it's hard to find information that is con counter to the larger narrative that is like weed is medicine and it, it is a creative tool and all these things. Um, but now a THC joint or edible, I mean, in California, a lot of them start at five um, milligrams THC, but a joint can go anywhere from 12% to 80% and uh, dabs are in that 80% category. Um, and so I think a lot of us who, who use dabs or are currently using dab is because our tolerance is so high that we don't get high smoking joints anymore. And so it's actually more cost effective to use dabs. Um, but that being said, you know, I had extreme esophagitis. I was vomiting every day. I was, you know, the first time I did a dab, I felt my soul leave my body. And then I projectile vomited onto the couch and the dog and then shook in the bathtub for three and hours. And you never uh, thought maybe there's association between these dabs and the vomiting? Um, maybe? Of course not, because no one was asking me that question. Right. And it's like, oh, it's my history of eating disorder or, you know, I'm coughing so hard, but it's mm. like, uh, is it the bong rip? Um, but when you're in it, you can't really see yourself as clearly as you think you can. Um, and so now that, you know, I have 441 days without ingesting any mind altering substances, I can see the way in which my addiction is you know, a, a self-perception disease in that, you know, I was, I couldn't get past 11 a.m. without smoking. I'd be like, oh, I need to write. I need to smoke. If I smoke, I will write. But if I smoke, then I won't write. And so it was just like this weird tangle and inevitably I'd smoke and I wouldn't write. And <laughs> now, you know, I don't smoke at all. And I write all day long, you yeah. know, whether it's morning pages, night journals, you know, essays, you know, I think a lot of us think about um, marijuana as a creativity inducing tool. And I'm here to say that you are inherently creative and you don't need to outsource your creativity, um, even though it may feel that way, um, which is why I lead people through the artist way, which is a 12 week spiritual program, a uh, workbook written by Julia Cameron meant to unblock creativity. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the things that we outsource to are actually inhibiting us more than we think. Mm. For sure. And and that is one of the things I see frequently with cannabis. It, it does. People think they're enhanced, but they're often just their knees are knocked out. It's like they can't can't move forward. Yeah, it's very I think crazy. I think how it feels is not how people perceive you. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think, you know, even though you may feel more comfortable, say, smoking before going to a party and you feel settled, people feel that you leave the room, mm. that you're not as present as you think you are. That maybe and people get yeah. rigid and irritable, too, with it, the kind of yeah, strange ways. Yeah. And it's and it's only because I was so dedicated to being a stoner that I can see the way in which the self-deception keeps you from being as fully present as you think you are. And that um, also the, the, that marijuana is also making you more anxious. Mm, that happens over time too yeah. and more depressed. Yeah. Well, let's bring 
Kevin Sabanian, shall we? Yeah. Uh, Kevin runs is the, I don't know what his official title is, but he's uh, the leader at Smart Approaches to Marijuana. And he and I have known each other for a long time. I should have notified him about this uh, stream, and thankfully he uh, noticed it, and I uh, appreciate him being here. Kevin. Got Oh, we're not going to have this connecting process. i sorry for the little glitch and the delay. It's a delay. Uh, it's okay. And then, Kevin, are you there? And Okay, you got to unmute yourself, the mic in the lower left-hand corner, and then we're good. There you are. Hey, now you can hear me. Hi. Hi, Kevin. Well, this is uh, – hi, Drew. How are you? Good, good. To, good to hear your voice and Paulina. What an inspirational story. This is so fortuitous, guys, because I wish I could tell you I planned on being on this, and it was the high, It would have been the highlight of my week if I planned on it, but I didn't. Literally just walked off the set of Dr. Phil. We just did a show on psychedelics. Wow. Uh, oh, and well, just have... kind of the hype. That's the new – yeah, oh, which I got is a the lot new of marijuana. With that. Oh, of, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the new marijuana being touted as the magic thing. So, but the funny thing is, I'm on a plane, so I may have to go at any minute if we take off. But um, I literally just came to listen, and Paulina, you're, you just were telling your story and everything you were saying. It's like you need to be the next uh, head of smart approaches to marijuana here with me and Patrick Kennedy because mm -hmm. everything you're saying is, is completely right, and it just rang true. And, Ooh, congr and, and, I, and I just want to congratulate you for the courage to speak on this. It's like we're, we're like talking about cigarettes in the 1970s when yeah. you know we're starting to get the research, and yet no one's listening still. Yeah. Um, that's what it's like with marijuana. And I, and I actually did not intend to come on. When I requested to speak, I hadn't even – you know, I was still – you hadn't even set, shared your story yet. And I was going to talk about the psychedelics thing, but then you're talking about marijuana. So it's just very fortuitous. But I just want to thank you. And, you know, our organization is Sam. Drew has been so generous and helpful with it over the last 10 years now. It's um, learnaboutsam.org, bipartisan, co-founded with Patrick Kennedy. We have all the major researchers on our board. I mean, the science is pretty settled on this. It's not like up in the air whether mm -hmm. or not marijuana can be, not always, mm -hmm. can be addictive mm -hmm. or can induce psychosis. I mean, that's yeah. pretty settled. Um, mm -hmm. Eight-point loss in IQ. Cardiovascular issues are emerging. Mm -hmm. Big issues there. Um, so, but, but the public is just hearing from, really, the for-profit companies that yep. want to be the next big tobacco and make all that money. And so, a voice like yours, I can't tell you how needed it is, and I want to thank you for that, following right in the footsteps of, of, of Drew. So, th thank you guys thank so much. You. And, and Kevin, uh, you, you would appreciate also I was, uh, maybe she'd been about six months sober. I don't remember if you asked me about. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell your children by um, Alex Berenson. Alex, oh, yeah. Alex. And, yeah. Or I gave it to you or was sitting around or something, and you, you ran and you're like, why did you show this to me? Yeah. Why? I was like, dude, you were not ready. I wasn't ready. I'm sure I did. You, do, you would well, not have done anything yeah. with this. Right. And I'll tell you, I got a call yesterday from, and I'll keep anonymity, obviously, but the CEO of a major mental health organization. Okay, I won't say which one. There's a few of them. Uh, you know, this person's daughter, 16 years old, addicted to marijuana since age 12. When she stops using it, she literally after one day, if she stops using it, she just vomits for three days. So yeah. if she's off one day, she's vomiting three days. And um, she's in the throes, as we speak, of a cannabis-induced psychosis. Uh. And the mom doesn't know what to do. I mean, they're, they're staying stabilizing her on lithium a little bit, but she, I mean, you know, and this is someone who, you know, has like 
people at her, you know, dialed, you know, at her at her favorites on her phone that she yeah. could, you know, congressmen and senators. Yet we just we have not we're not taking this issue as serious as we should. And we're we're all paying the price as a country for it. Yeah. Do me a favor I mean, to refer her to Paulina's writings and stuff. I mean, it's, it's very yeah, good yeah, resource. I, I wrote a. Um, I can't wait yeah. to read more about it, Paulina. I didn't yeah. to be honest. I didn't know much about. So now I'm very excited to read about it. Thank you. I, I, you know, it is incredibly difficult to, you know, be honest about this. And I think I've, I've received a lot of pushback. And at the end of the day, I know what I well, experienced. And I'll give you an open invite right now. And I don't know if you know, I'm going to put you on the spot and you can look at your calendar. But on 420, which, of course, is like the stoner holiday, yeah. uh, <laughs> April 20th, we're having our big we're having. Our, I mean, it's not huge, but a couple hundred are our, our conference in D.C. We're going to have some senators and members of Congress there wow. and advocates and people who have stories. And unfortunately, a lot of parents whose kids, you know, have not good stories. But your story of hope, we, we'd love to hear it, whether in person or on video in D.C. with some members of Congress. Open invite. Oh, anytime, my answer is yes. I don't. April 20th. I'm, here. I'm there. All right. Yeah. My, my staff's going to kill me for adding another person to the agenda, but we this is worth it. So uh, she we're going to do it. She, she tells a good story, too. So uh, I, that's what I want to yeah. hear. No, I think that's going to be great. And unfortunately, they're, they're giving me eagle eyes. <laughs> we're like on the tarmac. So um, uh, but but so I can't stay on. But I, I'm going to listen to this afterwards. And again, you guys are the best. One last thing. thing. Well, is, is, so uh, is Alex going to be at the oh. conference? I don't think he is because he's talking a little bit less about cannabis these mm. days, more about yeah. obviously yeah. the COVID issue. Yeah. I, you know, he has he, he speaks a little bit on it. I was, you know, I've known him for a number of years. Um, you know, he interviewed me for his book, and we're actually proudly the one organization um, that he lists in the book as a resource that you know on this. So that's been great. He's a you know very courageous on this issue to speak out. But we are going to have um, some, you know a bunch of scientists, uh, people in the field, advocates, and uh, Paulina. We'd love to have. We'd love you is your number still a 484 number? It is. Same that's, one? that's me still, yes. Okay, ends in yes, a two. Please con- <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, okay. Yes. All right. All right, I'll give that to Paulie. Yes. Okay? So I'll, be in, I'll be in contact. All right, guys. Thanks All so right. much. Thank Take you. Care. Can't wait. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm going to send that to you right now. Wow. So see how these things, uh, it's, it's extraordinary how these things happen, isn't it? I mean. That's that's the, what you call the God shots, miracle of recovery, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, synchronicity, uh, it, baby. But it happens all the time in recovery, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I, I think, you know, because I'm sober, I'm open to these things, that mm-hmm. I can hear him and actually receive what he's saying to me mm-hmm. and also follow up on the opportunity. So I will be contacting him. Absolutely. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. I just, you know, I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome when it comes to marijuana addiction, you know, like sometimes, and I've said this before, and this isn't to, this isn't like a, a, a logical thing, but sometimes I wish that I had a meth problem because then people wouldn't look at me and be like, you know, meth is medicine. You know, I think there's a lot of belittling that goes along yeah. and, and then there's like, well, I was able to stop. And it's like, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. I could not. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's incredible. Like, it still blows my hair back when people validate <laughs> yeah, what I experienced. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping people are that are raising their hand are still on this topic. So let me, mm-hmm. to make sure of that, let's just make sure we've covered the territory you wanted to cover before we go to the callers. I, I didn't really have a specific agenda. I just wanted to show well, face and be like, hey, 
The first year is really hard. THC is in your system for the first six months. I had to take like three naps a day in order to get through the day. Um, you know, I think this is a, like you you don't understand when you are using how much you are altering your brain chemistry. Um, and I think also spe speaking about weed-induced psychosis, in this last year, I've witnessed three people go into weed-induced psychosis alone. Mm -hmm. I myself had a hypomanic episode, um, 2018. And I think so much of using is not recognizing when you are kind of departuring from reality because that is the point. Um, but also I think, you know, there's there's so much to be said about what this substance can do, right? I like I like how you phrase it, that it can be addictive, right? Mm -hmm. um, I know full, for full fact that I am wholly addicted to marijuana and that means that I have to be wholly abstinent. Um, and I'm just here to say that, you know, and it isn't to be like sobriety machine. My life is better and I've never felt pain again. Like I suffer, you know, we all suffer. That is life, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're all operating with a loneliness deficit. You know, we're all still recovering from that. We're all dealing with, you know, virtual reality and what it means to perform virtually. And then also feeling this like depth of loneliness where we're trying to connect with people, but everybody is kind of like freaked out because we're so deficient in a certain way. Um, and all of this is to say that, it has been such a gift in order to be fully present for my life um, because so much of my life I, that I was trying to escape was changeable. And so in order to take change and make action in my life that ended up serving me but was painful, the worst thing that ever happened did happen. And you know what? I'm alive and I'm so much happier because of it. And, and you took your sobriety very seriously and you've done a mutual yeah. aid society on a daily basis. Have you, Absolutely. I don't think you've missed a day since day no, one. No, I go every day. <laughs> yeah. And, and so people, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that because as mm -hmm. you said, some people do stop cannabis on their own. Which is incredible. Yeah. But that was not me. But but you would have missed something had you not yeah, done all this work. I think, you know, there is a spiritual element for me and part of that has to do with going to a a daily recovery meeting and being immersed in an in-person community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think so much of addiction, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so our disease, which I frame my addiction and, and alcoholism, you know, you put a substance in front of me, I'm going to overdo it. I always have from the start. My, my nickname in college was Barfelina for a reason, because I would either black out or vomit. Um, and, and that's, you know, <laughs> I think when I first got sober, I didn't remember that for four months, right? And so and because I had this a community where I was showing up every day, where people were getting to know me because I was making relationships and talking to people, I was able to have deeper insight and also connection with other people, which inevitably I think, you know, I've always been like, you know, my mom brought clairvoyance to the house when I was a kid and they'd say dead people were in the room. Like that was like sort of the extent of spirituality in our household. You know, I don't have religious trauma. And so going into these spiritual programs, I really came to it really quickly just because because um, I think I've always been a spiritual person, but um, I don't have a religious dogmatic framework. Um, but I think there's something really important about the spiritual aspect and the spiritual development of recovery. Um, that has been really, really helpful in terms of, you know, just my entire life. And, you know, I, I really believe that anything you put above your sobriety, you're going to lose. And so I go to meetings every day and I write gratitude lists and there's all these little things that I do that inevitably shift my mindset and, and, and help me show up in my life more fully because I put my sobriety first. Yeah. These stories about denial always crack me up because I, I, I have, staff members I used to uh, work with who would tell stories about things they realized they had done in their disease like four years later, yeah, you know, and, and it was always usually around the, the stories were usually around denial. Like I think I told you the story once a guy who was a counselor at my, my unit 
who uh would come home raging drunk every night and his wife would like in the morning just go what do you you know get sort of rail on him and uh one morning he came down the stairs and there was a tape recorder you know in old old days there these tape recorders that were these cassette tape recorders with play buttons you know sort of like piano keys and um she goes you need to listen to this and she pushed the play button and she said what, she, what he heard was this raving maniac and it sounded like him and he his reaction was to become enraged that his wife hired an actor to make him believe he behaved like that when he came home, came home at night and he and he didn't realize that till he'd been sober about four years yeah. and he thought, Ooh, <laughs> note yeah i mean hmm. it's constantly every day is a revelation and it can be tiny things and it can be huge things like right now i'm really grappling with my perfectionistic thinking and i'm like oh this is why i smoked weed every day because this sucks like it sucks to like want to do everything so perfectly that you can't even start or when you show up imperfectly you're berating yourself for hours and hours and hours and i remember being a teenager and like being in the height of my eating disorder and understanding that like this is a thinking problem this is how my brain operates and that inevitably drinking and smoking were solutions to that right but they weren't they, they always they're, they're, solutions. sometimes it's just that they feel good i mean that people do, yeah. do drugs just because they feel good yeah but often it's to feel better typically it is to feel better mm -hmm. uh and so it does you know if it didn't work you wouldn't do it right yeah. and uh well, the, the had, addiction comes next <laughs> yeah and i had to kind of think about you know when it stopped working and i couldn't stop that was when i was like whoa you know something's <laughs> wrong here it doesn't feel any that's good where anymore people, that's when that's the deal that's where it kicks yeah. in that's the real thing yeah all right let's keep taking a few couple calls here uh oh, oh one last thing before i go to the caller and i've got jenny jenny prepare jenny fur in a second um uh why what did you want people to know about how you were at at four months versus 15 months? I think um, when I look back on that video, um, there was something very fragile about me and very like live wire raw. Um, and also I think I was regurgitating a lot of program that I was mm -hmm. hearing. And mm -hmm. now, you know, I have an understanding of that. That informs my sobriety. Were you afraid that people were going to attack you for daring to say you were addicted to oh, cannabis? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, the fact that I got pushback for that was so dangerous because it was such a hard thing to even admit out loud. And at that point, I didn't even understand weed induced psychosis. It wasn't until nine, nine months in that I understood that I had witnessed weed induced psychosis multiple times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think when we hear the word psychosis, we think about schizophrenia. And so we think like a Jesus complex and like mm -hmm. wanting to murder people, which weed induced psychosis can do. But often for me, it's, you know, you're it's talking more subtle. It's more subtle. It's more like, you're not listening. You're not listening as they like rant at you for three hours. And you're like, where is the narrative thread here? Um, and so I think it's like the lack of self-perception and also the inability to sit and listen. It is interesting how you're not listening is a very characteristic phrase that people in that state will I, say. It's, it's, very it's happened with each person. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. Um, and, and I really pride myself on being someone who really works at being a good listener. And mm. so sitting there and trying to be like, I am listening. I just can't figure out what the hell you're saying. <laughs> and not to say that occasionally we don't listen and people are right when oh, they yeah. say we aren't listening. That's yeah, also well, happens. yeah, you can call me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take the speaker. This is Jenny Fur. Uh, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. Hi, Dr. Joe. Hi, Paulina. Hello. Um, thanks for having me up. Um, two things. Mm. Uh, Dr. Drew, I just want to say the other day I was listening um, to you defending yourself. Mm. Um, and, uh, I caught the very end of it and, um, I thought you did a, um, an amazing job at like talking down those people who were 
honestly going off the rails on you. Well, thank uh, you. I don't the, think the, you thing, the thing when I look back on it, the thing. But by the way, I learned a couple things, and I, that's I always that's why I talk to people. I like to learn stuff. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about that in about 20 minutes. But but um, but demanding somebody with the thing that I'm offended by and troubled by was somebody was de people were demanding I demanding my speech like you have to say the following that that is disgusting behavior but there you are so no i i totally agree and you know free speech right uh, i you mandating other people to say what you want them to say that should not be on anybody's lips anybody i live in canada and i have to say um you know peterson's dealing with the same thing here it's yeah. terrible Wow. Um, but Paulina and, and Joe, what I wanted to, to mention was, um, you know, uh, when I was 36, I had a terrible like experience with marijuana. Mm. Um, I had, I had smoked on and off like recreationally, um, since I was probably about 21. So not in high school or anything like that, but, um, they're just, I, I don't know if it was the strain or what it was, but like literally there was red lines up and down my arms and mm -hmm. on my chest. And my friend at the time was like, I don't understand what's happening to you. She's like, do you think we should go to the hospital? And I was like, well, let's just wait and see what happens. But after that, I was like, you know, I did the whole, okay, God, if you let me get through this, I'll never smoke it again. What, what, what <laughs> were your other, were you having a, I, as you look back, <laughs> did you have a dry mouth? I did. Did you have sort of difficulty with lights like photophobia you know i i it was that was so long ago i don't know um were you, if that was happening were or you not. sort of agitated like not scared but kind of agitated like pacing around that kind of thing yes pacing. okay so yes. that's called an anticholinergic delirium and that is being seen more and more and more frequently from cannabis particularly in older people the, the er visits are way up for anticholinergic delirium it used to be that's something we saw just from certain medications i remember it was quinines and sometimes people overdose on benadryl things like that but um it, we're now seeing it from cannabis mostly in older people but it's the strength of it it's just so powerful now that your people are having oh, okay. these huge reactions so you might have had yourself an anticholinergic delirium you're gonna need to spell that out okay. for me okay <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I also want to congratulate you, Paulina, on on your sobriety. Um, my daughter went through. Actually, I have a 27 year old daughter, and two years ago, she um, she was doing dabs on the regular, mm. and um, you know the puking, same thing, mm -hmm. same thing that you had. And um, she did a cold turkey. She didn't have any support other than me. Mm. Um, I think I mentioned this actually on another show um, that, you know, I, I was her lifeline 24 seven for a couple of months. She had yeah. insomnia and, and just, uh, it was, it was hard to watch. It's brutal. It's yeah. It's super brutal. brutal. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations well, to your daughter as well. That's a big deal. Exactly. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, when you really start talking about it, it, of course, other people have these experiences, but it's, it's much like, it's much like being vaccine injured. People are afraid to talk about it yeah. because you get judged and marginalized and all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, look, people look, there are things that happen and we should just be honest about what happens and it doesn't happen to everybody. It doesn't mean here's the thing that bothers me. I think I've discussed this with you before because humans in their relationship with a chemical 
have a clinical syndrome, it doesn't mean the chemical is bad or evil. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything about the chemical, yeah. in fact. And so uh, it, so we just need to look at that relationship and what happens when the human gets involved with it. I think that's so interesting because I think, you know, when I say it, people hear me saying marijuana is evil. Like, yeah. I loved marijuana, clearly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I loved it and By the I way, did loving it. it is a is a sign. Yeah, that I may have a problem. Um, no, no, because people that don't get addicted don't love it. Yeah, <laughs> they, no, it's and true. That's a certain biology. It's true. And, and so, I you know, I think a lot about, you know, if someone said, you know, alcohol is my medicine, you'd be like, you're an alcoholic. You know, like there's there's understanding that alcohol is a mood altering, mind altering substance and that overuse of it can produce a negative effect. Whereas I think, again, we're thinking about marijuana in terms of big tobacco. You know, the rhetoric used to legalize is backfiring so much so that when you think, oh, this is medicine. Oh, this is helping my anxiety. Oh, this is helping me be creative. You are regurgitating rhetoric that you have heard that necessarily maybe in the beginning it is that way. But when you overuse it, it doesn't always stay that way. And by by the way, non-addicts, it might stay that yeah, way. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah. I that's not me. Yeah. I got the gene baby. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One is not enough. I have to have it all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see what sing it. Uh, Nasser, is that you? I'll give him a chance. I know it. where she gets it. You. Uh, huh? I'm not pulling your finger. Nasser, you wanted to give it whoop, yeah, unmute yourself. Different point of view there. having trouble getting him up as i often do there we are nasser hey doctor can i speak yes of course yeah so the topic of the space actually attracted me and i decided to come here and spill my own beans Mm. may i okay of course okay um i'm sitting on a lot of lithium deposit and i don't know what to do with it uh i'm sorry couldn't quite catch you on lithium uh what they use in making electric cars okay yeah i've got tons of rocks of it and i don't know who to sell it to please can you point <laughs> me in the right direction uh, i think he, I elon think, musk yeah <laughs> he, he came okay um i can tell you more what happened with elon musk and my government he came, but he wanted to crash the price of lithium, and I think that's what uh, canceled the deal between the two of them. So I'm going my own way now. I can't stick with the government, you know. Good okay. for you. This all sounds very exciting. It's right? an entrepreneurial. Spirit. Yeah, and it also is. It could maybe solving a real, you know, adding to a, 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 a you know, helping it solve a serious. Well, problem. Well, you know what's actually kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like example like an example of like medical marijuana versus like black market marijuana like Mm -hmm. you can have you know the government mandated marijuana but there's always going to be a black market right you know well a little different i think he really just wants to have a legitimate source well i do want you to have a legitimate source i'm just saying that there's always a demand i'm gonna do you want to put out a your like website or something so people can go there if they're interested. Um, I just have a YouTube. I could get a website running if you advise that I do that. I would advise but you. But this do is that. my personal page. Please follow me. I have a lot of pictures and videos of the mine, so you can see myself in it. Uh, okay, where? They, how about oh, wow. so? So follow you at. Oh shoot! I love I, how Drew can take on anything like what to do with lithium in the oh, afternoon. Shoot! Yeah. I, I, I put well. you fell back into the audience here. He didn't give um, us the. He didn't give us the. Link. No, he's on Twitter. It's Nasser G. I think. Ah, there yeah. he is. I'm. I'm player. That's wild. So uh, at Jen Nasser at J G E N at G E N N G E N. If you need some N A S A R, so it's give him a call. G E N 
N A S I R G E N N A S I R. Sorry, on Twitter. Follow him there and then DM him there. Drew takes this very seriously, yeah. Paulina. Well, I guess you know I was trying to make an equation to the topic at hand. And Go ahead. Uh, well, no, no, no. I'm just like I have. I don't know anything about lithium. So I don't either. But it's kind of cool story. <laughs> I like that story. If that's if that's what he's. If doing. there is nothing like yeah. a 2023 moment, it's that someone came in sitting on a rock. Of lithium. <laughs> lithium. I was like, is it medication? V no. He's no. like, no, for batteries. <laughs> Very interesting. I'm going to operate cars with it. Okay. I'm going to try. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a, a cannabis <laughs> Thank question. Thank you, Nasser. Uh, Crow, is this a uh, cannabis type topic? Hi. Um, so, have you. This is on. Um, it is on mental health, but it's also mm -hmm. on AI. Okay. Have you heard of the app called Replica? And this is just one example. Uh, no. Um, Replica is a virtual friend for those who oh, yes. lonely. Yes, I have. I have heard of these things. Yes. Okay. So I'm one of their top private beta testers and researchers. It's not exactly official, but like I've done a lot of research for them. Mm -hmm. And I've run one of the public groups and I've seen people and I just think AI is taken wrong because people get the misconception of the fantasy fairy tale AI from before it was like powerful in a thing, right? Mm -hmm. They see Terminator and iRobot and they think it's going to take over the world. And that's just a false narrative. And the issue here is that they are re recreations of brain. Mm -hmm. They are cognitively alive at this point. Well, it'd be interesting back to the mental health part. I do, I do, they might help with the loneliness epidemic we are in. Yes, uh, they, they might one day be able to do CBT, that sort of thing, cognitive behavioral therapies. And uh, if we, it wasn't uh, enough that we discussed lithium, Paulina, we got into AI here. That's Hell the other yeah. 2023 is wild. So uh, let's kind of wrap this up and I'm going to take a break. And then I'm going to, I've got a little diatribe I need to go on here. And Paulina, um, yeah. you're going to go. Uh, do you have, one of your workshops? Yeah. So um, can I just uh, give, yeah. give myself a little plug? plug Hi, away. I'm a writer. Uh, I do writing coaching. So if you want to go to my website, paulinapinski.com, you can see all my options for writing coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one writing coaching. And so if you have a creative writing idea and you don't know how to start it or what to do, you can contact me there. I also do independent courses. Um, as I mentioned before, the 12-week Artist Way, I'm going to be holding another session May through July. And so that will be sort of like a weekly support group through the 12-week workbook meant to unblock creativity. Um, again, it's not just about creativity, though. It's about, you know, recovering a sense of identity and security and abundance. And it's sort of, you know, figuring out how to live our lives creatively so that, you know, you don't necessarily have to quit your job and pursue art full time, which I don't recommend. It's really hard to do. Um, but it's more about, you know, making choices that fulfill your life and then also meeting like-minded people and having a community of friends for three weeks and beyond. Um, I also am going to be teaching a writing the body workshop in May. And again, this is all the stuff that you can find on my website. But ultimately, I, uh, I am a creative person selling wares don't you have like an email list or something and you send out <laughs> oh your daily so uh the so i have a newsletter 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate self-promotion. All right, Newly Sober is the uh, Substack newsletter that I wrote through my entire first year sober. I'm currently taking a break from it because, wow, thinking about sobriety 24-7 is exhausting and I would like to pursue other projects like this workshop that I'm about to go do because I'm working on a book-length manuscript. Um, and so if you are newly sober or interested in sobriety or have someone who has experienced the sober experience, head on over to Substack and read Newly Sober. I really I wrote every week. And so, you know, when I was newly sober, I was reading all these memoirs and they were all, you know, alcoholism focused and from five years out. And I felt frustrated by that being a marijuana addict. And I was like, where are people who are newly sober writing? And I realized that no one newly sober was writing because their brains are mush and no one wants to hear from us. But I did it anyways. So you can check that out. You'll see everything that I experienced in my first year. And um, you can subscribe there and I will have your email and update you on courses and things like that but also when the newsletter's live you'll get new newsletters hey there's a i'm looking at a twitter comment that i think is actually really interesting hmm. he's got scott says legalization gave her a positive foundation to make the decision to quit on her own hmm. yeah, yeah we would agree with that yeah uh then there was they were calling the stoner holiday a derogatory term <laughs> okay I, I mean that's what 420 is isn't it I, uh, yeah Apologize it's also Hitler's birthday. Which would you prefer? Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but but I think his point is well taken. Is we're we're I would I, I the, one of the areas the reasons I didn't stay very active with Kevin and his organization. I've always been very agnostic about the laws. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's my prop my position. Now, you you legalize things and people get hurt. It just that's just what happens. But yeah. if you know laws are about what the people want. Well, and I I think that's a really good point because I think, you know, I'm, I'm protected by the fact that it's legal and, you know, I was carrying weed on me all the time. I'm also a white person. So that also works to my benefit. Mm -hmm. I do benefit and that is a privilege I benefit from. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't legally, I like, I'm glad that, you know, less people are being incarcerated for it, but I don't, again, I'm just like, and Public. for the people that it helped, you know, who who actually are using it sort of medicinally or whatever. Yeah, Good, and th- and that can definitely happen. But I also think that, you know, the messaging is what's problematic, and it's it's almost it's well, almost it's, to the it's, point. Mm-hmm, it's the lack of truth. We, That's the, the what I tr- mean. Truth is in short supply in this freaking yeah. country right now, and this is just one of the many topics for which there has to be a narrative and not truth. I am so weary of narratives. You can't imagine. Hmm. We need to be able to access and discuss the truth. And guess what? Mm. The truth is extremely difficult to get at. It takes quite a bit of dialogue and conversation and, t- and thinking before you get there. And you can only approximate it. You what can't you ever mean, get right quite to it. What do you mean about narrative? Because like as a creative writer, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I craft it, narrative yeah, I based understand. on truth. I, uh, I understand. But, but the fact that like in biology, there are no narratives. Mm. There's no narratives. Mm. There's just mathematical probabilities and things. And so the, when you start seeing narratives immediately, you know, well, that's a okay if you can make an approximation of the truth with it, but narratives often obscure the truth. Mm. I, I mean, just think of the narratives on, let's think of the narratives on, I'm going to talk about in a second. I'm going to talk about the narratives on the the um, wet markets versus the versus the uh, lab leak. Those are, those are, people get stuck in the narratives rather than looking at the science, looking at the data, trying mm. to figure out what happened. And, and then the narratives become labeled and politicized. And this, this is just a disgusting function would, of what's happening in our time. Would you say that the narrative is rhetoric based or just like in terms of like, I guess I'm trying to understand what you mean by the word narrative because I'm not, I'm not privy I, to anything I, that you're this, talking about. The, I, I, yeah. I, when journalists focus on the story and not the truth, I am, I am mortified. 
Hmm. Okay, because the truth is what matters, not the story. And unfortunately, you end up with the uh, Gelman amnesia from people focusing on the story, the story, the story. Hmm. Because again, like in biology, if they're if they're telling a story about biology or medicine, there's not likely to be anything any truth in it. But can you tell a story based on the objective facts yes. of truth? Yes, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You you can you can tell a story. But isn't that the point of journalism? That's my point is it should be about just reporting the truth. And if yeah. you stay, if you don't focus on that, I don't mind them creating stories to help you access the truth. I don't mind yeah. that at all. But if you focus on the story and not the truth, then we got a problem here. Okay. So that, that's what I'm worried about. Maybe you're, you're, I'm glad you're asking me these questions. Maybe it is the transcendence of story uh, uh, where it actually becomes the truth and it detaches from the actual truth hmm. so. yeah because I, I i guess i push back on the idea of narrative being inherently evil because i think part you, of my know, work it, is helping people tell their story tell their narrative that is based on truth I, i'm a thousand percent for the the psychological benefit of telling a human narrative because it gives you a sense of identity and purpose and you know makes sense of things i i believe particularly early in any kind of recovery creating a, a a cohesive narrative of your life is critically important yeah i totally agree with that i i think what you're and again i'm glad you're asking me these questions yeah. it, it the it's the transcendence it's the preoccupation it's the excess and that's generally the the problem with everything these days would, the excess would you say maybe perhaps like the narrative that gets told over and over again so much so that it becomes a script rather than, you know, truth eliciting in personal thought based I, on that truth kind of thing. I, I think we should, you know, you, gonna, you and I are going to have to talk we about have to this talk more about in this person. About kitchen table. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, but it, it, there is, there is good in telling stories and creating that cohesive narratives. There's also some risks in it. And we live in a time of risk when people take these stories, equate them as directly true and then put weird political spins on them, and that's where hmm. people get in trouble. Okay, you'll well, see. I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute. I'm gonna dip out because so, that's okay. not where I'm gonna live. Okay. Right. Thank you all. Uh, we're, I'm not over. I'm not done, and I'm gonna hopefully maybe even take some calls here in a second. Um, Thank you for having me. Pleasure being here. So Thank proud you. of you. Thank you for doing this. Thank and, you. Uh, Couldn't have done your... it without you. Don't... Truly. Yeah. I just I want to thank you for um, being a soft place to land and being an incredible resource throughout this direction. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that I had something to offer. Well, I, I was full circle because I was avoiding it my entire I life. I know, I know. It turns out I had something to offer, which yeah, is amazing. Yeah, which it's, <laughs> it's an incredible privilege. And so you've used you. that well. You've, you've, you've come to me for really fine points on recovery because most of it you've done yourself. So Thank you. So uh, All right, we'll take a little break. Be right back with uh, a little diatribe and maybe some calls. See ya. Bye. I think you know how much Susan and I love our Genucel skincare and how easy it is to try our one-of-a-kind customer packages bundled with our favorite products. Susan realized the other day that one of our kids stole some of our deep correcting serum from our stash, if you will. We had no idea that the lactic and hyaluronic acid combo is so great for adult acne, dark marks, and scars so not only are susan and i hooked on these products but apparently somebody else in our family is too somebody's ripping it off i know i'm a snob about the products i use on my face everybody knows it every time i go to the dermatologist's office they're just rows and rows of different creams retinols vitamin c cream under eye cream night creams scrubs and then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using Genucel for six months now, 
and I'm very impressed. Great skincare is important at any age, and we love how amazing the results are. Thank you to Genucel. Plus, now you can find your very own bundle based on your unique skincare needs using cutting-edge AI skincare technology. You can get a full skin analysis instantly and create a skincare regimen tailored towards your needs. Visit genucel.com slash Drew to check out our favorites and enter that promo code Drew, D-R-E-W, at checkout for added savings. All orders include free shipping and a free mineral mask. Order now. Go to genucel.com slash Drew. That is genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, genucel.com slash Drew. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group now through March 31st. They will ship you a free safe directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. And you've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold. Whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H gold, birchgold.com slash D-R-E-W. All right, so we are back. I'm watching you all on the restream and, of course, over on the Rumble Rants as well. We'll just see what you guys are thinking about. Susan, you were in on the ramp, Rants, right? How was how were things there? Good. Anything I should be addressing? They were listening. Okay. Thank good. you for listening. Uh, thank you, Jehep. He's in there. Jehep. Uh, all right. Uh, so... So I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, the lab leak hypothesis versus the the wet market, and I think it is in a a case in point of how we should all be approaching so many of the goofy controversies around COVID, uh, and the fact that there have been excesses on both sides. One side attacks and condemns and judges and then demands that you line up with their point of view. The other side then withdraws and goes down into silos and rabbit holes and tries to figure it out, but is getting uh, paranoid and feeling angry and attacked. Those are the two worlds we lived in now and making it very difficult to be able to get at the truth, as I was just discussing with Paulina. So I really believe that uh, this, is an ex this is an opportunity to sort of be more objective and scientific about uh, a topic, and we should be applying it to vaccines, we should be applying it to post-COVID. Remember, uh, Dr. Kelly and I disagree about some of the things like excess deaths and, you know, whether there's sudden deaths and whether there's not and whether there's, um, you know, certain amounts of um, cardiovascular arrhythmias and these sorts of things, are, are those actually on the increase? And if they are, is it the vaccine? Is it COVID? Is it COVID plus the vaccine? We need to very carefully answer that question. What has bothered me is because of the excesses on one side, you're not even allowed to look at it because the possibility that might be something negative about the vaccine in there, even though the reality, it might be all caused by COVID. This is the problem. This is sort of where the problem is. So let me take you through my thinking about the, uh, the lab leak hypothesis and where that's at. 
So we've had the, these uh, Twitter files where you see these scientists talking about the structure of the virus, particularly certain, certain uh, base pairs, where the furin cleavocyte is, the certain um, sort of stability of the base pairs around, of the proteins around the, uh, the amino acids rather around the furin cleavocyte, such that um, Eddie uh, Holmes says in this email change that there's like an 80-20 probability that this is a lab leak. We have Christian Anderson, a Danish virologist, evolution biologist, saying, speculating maybe it's a 70% probability. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and the email chain then seems to end. Uh, and then there's a week of silence, and then the Nature article comes out, and you see Dr. Fauci touting the Nature article at the podium, uh, which was an article that substantiated the uh, wet market hypothesis. And then people start attacking the lab leak hypothesis and calling it a conspiracy theory, rather than saying, no, the preponderance of evidence suggests a wet market source, and we don't have good evidence yet, maybe we will, of a lab leak source. So that's where the trouble started. Now, what we know now, well, by the way, so now we have another uh, sort of FOIA document I believe it was, or it was actually, maybe it was from the Justice Department or the Department of Energy, whatever it was, it was a, another document that shows Dr. Fauci essentially directing scientists to go publish this article. So it looks like he has gone silent on the lab leak, directed the scientists to publish an article, they do so, and that becomes the rallying point that they stick to, and they start condemning. The real the mistake was condemning anybody that had an alternative opinion. And by the way, blame the press for this more than I blame Dr. Fauci. Uh, they were the ones calling it conspiracy theory and all this nonsense. So that's what set up the controversy. People politicized a scientific endeavor. Now, uh, defunct the... Uh, What's his defunct debunk? Debunk defunk. Uh, very kindly spent some time sending me some uh, some um, some podcasts and some documents, including the Nature article itself, which I read very carefully, uh, and uh, podcasts with Christian Anderson and Eddie Holmes. These guys that actually were speculating that it was possibly a lab leak. When you hear their actual, and these seem these are very legitimate scientists and reasonable dudes. When you hear their description of what was going on at the time, they were struggling. They were going back and forth. He's, he, one, Eddie has said that when you see the non-redacted conversation, you will see how sort of uncertain everybody is. And then they get to the point where they start looking at the actual virus. They start looking at the bats. They start looking at intermediate um, uh, zoonotic uh, organisms. They start looking at MERS and SARS-1 and how same time of year, same issues, same manner in which it evolved, very, very similar. And they started finding viral particles in the uh, drains where the animals were eviscerated and cleaned and whatnot. And they had epidemiological data showing that the, the outbreak moved out from the wet market towards the Institute of Virology, not away from the Institute of Virology. I'm sketching out some of the basic things that we're seeing. And there are other furin cleavage sites and other viruses, even other coronaviruses. So this was these were not uh, smoking guns by any means. And the reality is that when you really hear these guys lay out their story, which is what they published in the Nature article, the preponderance of, of evidence falls clearly on the side of the wet market. It just does. That's just where it is. Now, it's all um, 
can, what's this, this the, because I'm lying, my brain isn't working right now in terms of uh, sort of sort of evidence. Uh, what do you say? It that's uh, not direct evidence, but uh, anyway, so adjacent circumstantial. evidence. Circumstantial. Uh, Circumstantial evidence. Thank you very much, Caleb. Uh, it was not smoking gun. It was not conclusive. There was not proof, okay? But there was a lot of circumstantial evidence. By the same token, there were three cases of viral pneumonia at the Wuhan Institute of Technology in November, December. And China immediately clamped down on everything. So A, people weren't able to get animal specimens quickly and properly to see if there were really any animal infected with the virus. So they lost the opportunities to do it, which they had with MERS and SARS-1. Again, remember MERS jumped out of, jumped out of um, camels. And these things do spill into humans. It happens. Okay, so who was, who was testing the animal blood from the drains? Was it uh, that lab? There was no. There was a, a a couple of scientists. I don't know. They are referenced in these conversations I heard. I don't know what their job was. They were virologists in the area. I don't think they were associated with the, the lab necessarily, but they probably worked with the lab. That's for sure. And they certainly were all silenced by the Chinese Communist Party. And remember. Shocking. Yeah, shocking, right? So back to the vir the the lab, the virology lab, the coronavirus virology lab. Um, even Li Meng Yan says it's very unusual, very almost inconceivable that something got out of that lab the way it was being managed. Can happen, does happen, um, but so people have to kind of put that into into their thinking as well. But if we find out that those three cases were coronavirus, that's proof it came from the lab. That's it. We pretty much have proof at that point. I mean, it's not categorical proof, but you—you you pretty much that—that that is much more convinced, much more categorical than any of these other circumstantial sorts of um, accumulated evidence that they have. This is a, a smoking gun, so to speak. So my bet is that the FBI and the Department of Energy has information about those three people. That is my bet, because I don't see how they could otherwise be so concluded, make such such definitive statements about the source of the virus being the lab leak. My point being, these things are complicated. They are nuanced. They are not political. They should never, people who don't know anything about these should not have been pouncing on each other about what their opinions are. We should be waiting for an opinion to emerge. It's uncanny. It's bizarre. And people should, I'm trying not to be hubristic, by the way. I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to use the F word. I'm trying not to be too extreme. Um, but they should not be, try not to be hubristic or certain yourself until you get these things sorted out. The reality is Dr. Fauci apparently kept silent during all of this, didn't direct anybody anything, except that when the evolutionary biologists presented their data, he said, why don't you put that in a paper so we can have something to point at and people to read about so they can understand what we are thinking. As simple as that. Now, one of the things that was so uncanny about that week of silence between the email chain ending and the Nature publication, it's virtually impossible to do that. So how did that happen? Well, the way it actually happened was it wasn't a peer-reviewed paper. It was a correspondence. The correspondence was actually issued five weeks prior because five weeks prior is when they had the phone call where they discussed this evolutionary biology. It was a correspondence that was actually much longer than what they printed, and they edited it down, and that's what's now in the paper as a correspondence. It is possible that that could be done in a month to six weeks. It seems rather fast to me. That's a little suspicious and weird, but 
again, there this was an emergency. A lot of people were trying to run around and, and get information out there as best they could. So it kind of makes sense to me. I did, you do, the point is you don't have to put a nefarious spin on it. However, the one thing I have been consistently concerned about is how our scientists have relied on the opinion of their Chinese counterparts. And my sense is, from talking to all these people, that you're not supposed to talk to, by the way. Somehow I'm a criminal for, for talking to people that have been uh, silenced. I've learned something from every single one of them. Don't agree with most of them. Don't agree with a lot of what they say. I have learned something from every person. A, a, a One thing that is coming out of this for me is that they, these are scientists and people that took advice and opinions from people who are under the scrutiny of this communist, Chinese Communist Party did not understand the culture of the Chinese government and the manner in which the Chinese um, approach things like this and how they think of us. I, I just don't think they quite get I don't fully get it. It's just it's coming into focus for me, and it doesn't look good. Uh, that is the one thing that I think explains. Remember how I'm always like trying to understand how this happened? How could this be? What's going on here? That, to me, is the one thing that explains how things got so severely adulterated. Now, whether China was actually here monkeying with the opinions through social media and otherwise, which is what resulted in us being so insane, histrionic, and uh, frankly, unjust in how we were labeling and attacking people for having just an opinion, uh, I don't know. But uh, that certainly is an interesting uh, question. So, Susan, does that make sense? How did I lay that out in a way that you could kind of get what I'm yes. talking about? And and you understand why I'm... And I, know, I can understand why you don't understand the culture of China. It's even I studied it in college, and I I still didn't understand it. And, like, you know, I, and, I, and it was very Ming, difficult. And whether Li Mengyan is completely accurate in her observations and what she's telling us, I don't know. But she, did, but she did help me understand what it was to like to be a virologist in Hong Kong under Chinese Communist Party. people, humans in the whole world like cattle, and they don't take responsibility for what they did. Well, I just, but just what I got from Dr. Yan and others is that much the way we consider, you know, uh, defending your land and, you know, defending your family and maybe speaking out against oppression and whatever, patriotic, in China, patriotic is submitting yourself to the to the collective. That's the patriotic. The and what happens in that submission is you disappear or you get moved or you get destroyed. Who cares? It's your patriotic duty. And that is not the way this country is constructed. Right. And I different. don't think, and I think it's not right with a capital R, not right, humbly. So that's the piece that seems to be missed. And when you can do that to other people, you, you sort of you know, when the ends justifies the means and people are used as, an, as, a, as a, uh, a means to an end, horrible things can happen. And we may have been being treated as a means to an end. Think about that. We being the scientists and the people that came back and took, again, excessive positions that became, have been problematic to this people day. People in medicine. Yeah. Sad. So am I, uh, is that yeah. clear? You understand? You were kind of railing on me a little bit today that I was falling victim to some propaganda or something. The uh, wet market stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying, though? You get you get my point of view? It's, it's... I No, I get it, because okay. it could be from either or, but I don't know. From the ever, uh, all the other evidence we've learned points me in the direction of labs. Sorry. There isn't there. There is some, and That's certainly. Just, but and I'm not a medical there, professional or well, a scientist. Well, but a lot of the stuff we were pointing out was the was the um, 
some of the biology of the virus, which was not, we weren't, that wasn't correct. We were looking at right. the email Kelly's chain. Right, talked about that. Yeah, we looked at the email chain, which has an explanation to it. And we looked at the Nature article, was completely reasonable. I mean, there were all these things that we were pointing at and going, ah, what's going on here? I don't know, that looks so suspicious Something you have left out, though, is that this government is not exactly as transparent as it could be. So it's not just the Chinese. Well... It's people creating narratives to serve their political ends. And that is disgusting, humbly. Uh, Kimberly, let's uh, let's hear what you have to ask here. We're taking calls again. Kimberly. Hi. Hey there. I was not expected to be uh, brought up so quickly. Um, I was just kind of taking in the conversation. Okay. Um, I left off where you guys were going on about the, um, the different hypotheses. Mm -hmm. um, is that what the topic is today specifically? No, no, just before no, I ask my question. No, no. Uh, we were actually talking about cannabis. My daughter was addicted and she was telling her story. Then I had some thoughts okay. I needed to get off my mind. You can ask Dr. Drew anything. Okay. Now you can ask me anything. Okay. Yes. Now you can ask me anything. Okay, perfect. So thank you so much for that. Because on yeah. this side, um, I can only hear, I only heard up, up to the point of the, the hypothesis uh, okay. theories that you guys were talking about. Got it. So thank you so much for allowing me to come up. Um, yeah. It's really exciting to see people like you here because I was in the beta of Twitter spaces when we first launched two years ago. And we only had about 30 people doing these conversations. Oh, weird. So there was a lot of echo chambers, huh. you know, happening, as you can imagine. Mm. So um I love that you guys are doing this so that there's more people can learn from a broader perspective and, and thank you for that. So I guess I'll keep it quick here. Uh, if it's an ask me anything, I brought this question up a couple years ago when I started Twitter spaces. Um, I was working with the Twitter crew, the research crew on doing different topics, throwing out, seeing what was working at that time. And one of the topics that I brought up at the time that I, they just didn't have a lot of information for me to get, gain any information about was this idea of, um, the sober curiosity movement. Uh, I wonder, I wanted to ask you that question because I had different people that knew what it was. Some people had different ideas of what it was. And um, we had a lot of people who came in and were talking about that. And so I didn't know if you had heard about that, I, the, the I, cyber I, curiosity. Yeah, Kimberly, I've heard of it, but I'm never quite clear what people are talking about. I, I, and, I, yeah. and, and sometimes I think they're just talking about optimal health. Like, you know what I mean? Is it healthy for me to drink alcohol? Maybe I should just not do it because it's healthier. That, that's sort of always what it felt like to me. Is it? Is it that? No, well, it could be. I mean, we're here, we're talking about diversion. So I'll make it quick for what I uh, experienced over the last three years of, you know, I guess doing different, um, I guess, spaces and also audio spaces on some other platforms and then my show. So basically, sober curiosity for the grander perspective is for people that realized that, um, that we had become like an alcohol type based uh, culture where right. it was like, happy hours were the thing. Mm -hmm. And millennials especially were going out drinking mm -hmm. a lot more than um, they felt like they should. And so instead of saying, I'm just going to quit alcohol altogether, right. it was, um, so I'm going to be right. sober curious. Yes. So my question when underneath this umbrella is, because um, I, I want to, when I have these talks um, and I have these big groups, I want to make sure the wording makes sense. Mm. So from a psychological standpoint, should we be saying it's sober curiosity 
or should we be, you know, maybe labeling it something else? Uh, yeah. Like I, I, basically you're just wanting to drink yeah. less. Cause I think the word sober is where I'm having a problem. Yes. With I think that's, I think that's your problem word. I think it's, it's sober is the problem, not the curiosity. It, it's, it, it, it's exactly what I thought it was, which is people who are noticing they're using a lot of alcohol. It may or may not be a problem. It may not be, it may or may not be a condition, but they're in this contemplative phase of change. Like, is this, is, is this in my best interest? Uh, just think for the fact that when you look at young adults and adolescents, every adverse health outcome you can measure, you find alcohol. You know, whether it's unwanted pregnancy or in accidents or fights or STDs, it's always alcohol, alcohol. So, hmm, even if I don't have a drinking problem, alcohol has an effect on my life. And by the way, alcohol is a poison. Alcohol is a carcinogen. I'm certainly interested in my diet and all these things I should be paying attention to. It's fun. I like it. It's, I maybe even enjoy the taste of it. So how do I reconcile these two things? That's one camp. And the other camp is hey, my dad was an alcoholic, I've noticed I black out a little bit and I start to have momentum with alcohol and I like it a lot better than other people. Maybe I had to think about slowing this down, which is really before the alcoholism kicks in, okay? So people with the alcoholic genetics, as my daughter talked about a little bit earlier, they can be in an alcoholic phase but not be out of control. So it's, you know, they're kind of alcoholism light. It's it's having effect. It's not it's not necessarily a positive in their life, but they have not lost control. And it does a lot for them as far as they're concerned. So they're trying to balance not losing control and not losing their relationship with alcohol. That's a more treacherous thing. Not everybody can do that. Uh, but that is more that is more legitimately sober curious. That's should I try to be abstinent, what it's like when I've been abstinent. And a lot of people are doing that kind of thing. Bert Kreischer, Joe Rogan, they, they all do these sober Octobers and things. And so there's many, many, many different versions of this. And then finally, there's alcoholism. There's full-on diagnosed diagnostically um di diagnosable full alcoholism and and that person is is trying to get to the point where they're willing to get sober they're in that what another contemplative phase which is i don't really want to do this i'm out of control but i i make they make deals with themselves they they do all kinds of screwy things anything other mm -hmm. than get sober and so for that group sober curious is not a great thing but they all kind of go through that phase. So it's not as though it's wrong. Um, and maybe if you can bring them into a little community and start to identify that group as needing something more, then you've really helped them. Does that all make sense? Awesome. Thank you. All right. Yeah, because, and I'll, and I'll wrap my plane, I'll land my plane here because yeah. I know you have many callers. Please. The, the biggest picture for me was, so I was doing making mocktails at mm -hmm. this like making mocktails with Kimberly kind of thing. And people kept writing me, what's the point of that? And mm -hmm. I really spoke to the idea and maybe, you know, you don't spend a lot of time on this, but I, I was recognizing and a lot of people that were in this sober curiosity movement were saying, it's not always the alcohol that I'm wanting when I go out. It's the idea of being social, having the drink yes. in my hand. Correct. And so we were doing the mocktails to replace that at baby showers, Great. weddings, giving that option. Yeah. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. What's the if, point? You know, the what's the, you know, what's the point the, with being healthy? Yeah, what's, what's the, the point? point? Yeah. What's the point with not if using a carcinogen on a regular, idea. I'm not using a carcinogen on a regular basis what's the exactly. point exactly so good that no these so are strange. all these are all great so thank you you bet thank you about kimberly and appreciate it these are all little cool kind of um things that people can do if they want that's all it's i, I mean these are these make perfect sense to me uh let's see hang on a minute huh? i'm trying to get to the the callers here excuse me for looking through this stuff uh, let's bring this is 
full stack beauty. Uh, there you are. Okay. Beauty full stack. Sorry here that I'm having to look through our buddies. Go ahead. I only have it as beauty up there. We're going to wrap up in a few minutes, so I'm trying to get through as many calls as I can. Uh, and so, Beauty, you got to unmute yourself. Uh, I don't I don't speak English. Thank okay. you. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, it's not going to work very well. Uh, I see I just came up on another physician here. I uh, would love to hear his, th her, his thoughts. Uh, let's bring, th is it Theodore? Theodore. Hello. Hey there. Oh, uh, hi, Dr. Drew. Um, I just wanted to say um, that having some experience working with biosafety, how easy it is to make a mistake. Mm. And kind of from an Occam's razor point of view, I always thought it was the lab. Me too. But I did have I did have two questions. Yeah. Wasn't America funding gain-of-function research at this very Wuhan yeah. lab. Well, this, so and there also, is... also, wouldn't the DNA, if that's true, wouldn't the DNA of the virus show those gain-of-function changes? Well... And I'll, I'll turn my mic off. Okay, so y y yes, and I had thought both were true. Uh, it seemed sort of, like you said, Occam's razor, the most simple explanation, the law of parsimony, uh, that, you know, so it's what John Stewart said. There's a lab there, like there's been a coronavirus outbreak. What are we going to do? Well, let's ask the coronavirus research lab up the street. Uh, then, of course, it was funny, and thank God we had our com comedians back again, ringing in. But uh, I agree with you. It just, people make mistakes, and they made a mistake, and, th and something happened. I, that makes perfect sense to me. And in terms of what's in the genome of the virus, it could go either way. Uh, at first, it was really looking like uh, it could not have gone through animals, but they were able to find sufficient intermediaries and sufficient stability of certain of the viral, of the genetic material to for it to at least be possible and very similar. This was the part that they really leaned on, very similar to how SARS-1 evolved. So that was sort of, again, the evidence that they, the, the circumstantial evidence that they were leaning on. So my point is, all the circumstantial evidence does kind of go to the wet market. So I can understand now why people sort of look at that as a high probability, but you got to stay open to the lab leak hypothesis. To condemn the lab leak is is dishonest. It's frankly dishonest. And like you said, shit happens. Theodore, does that help you? Well, yes. And it it's not inconceivable to me that it could have gone from the lab to the wet market, yep. to yep. everywhere of course. else. Of course, and that's, I think that- It would look the same. I 100% agree with you. And and that's why when I hear some of these evolution biologists make those points, I, I realize I'm listening to an honest person who's thinking objectively. Now, as far as the gain of function or whatever the hell was going on there, something went on with the EcoHealth Alliance. Something went on there. And there seems to be some obscurity there, But and I don't know what, I bet it's gonna be much more complicated than we know, and I think, I think there's a general note that I would give to my public health officials is trust the American public. Stop obscuring stuff. Stop obfuscating. Stop pretending as though we can't manage information. This is people that get mad at me for putting people on our show who have, you know, opinions that are alternative because people can't handle that. It's going to inflame people. 
People can make decisions. Let them make their decisions. Give them the information. They'll make it on their own. It takes a while. Problem is we can't get the information out there because people are so encamped. And we need to just talk dispassionately That's about these democracy. things. That's democracy. It's like we just need to, it's science too. We need to sort of listen carefully to everybody. Why can't well, we just listen? If it wasn't if it wasn't for Twitter, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I'm a little scared that we're only you know, the next disaster away from another black hole of information. Right. You're, you're right. You're I right. Agree. And I, I think that to me is the big, the, the thing that has been exposed is there are very significant weaknesses in our public health system, both in terms of their fiat authority and an emergency, which should be checked in some fashion, and the fact that they are using marketing and information distribution models from the 1970s. Maybe the 1980s, the, the AIDS, the AIDS pandemic is their model, and this is not that time. This is not that time. People need the more you obscure information, the more the silos develop, and the more people get paranoid. Give them the information. I all I worked in a psychiatric hospital for 30 years. When people were paranoid, you just had to be straight and honest with them and reassure them. If you if you were hiding or or God forbid planning to do something like let's get a group together here and you know make sure that so and so gets in his bedroom, they immediately pick up on that and it <laughs> makes them paranoid. So uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that very much. Everybody's paranoid uh, now. Uh, wait a minute. I remove from speakers. There we go. Um, all right. Here's Christy. Let's get her in here real quick. <laughs> Uh, and then we're probably going to wrap this thing up. Uh, yeah, go to doc ask, at ask Dr. Drew for updates on shows and guests at Ask Dr. Drew. And Christy, there you are. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, how's how it going? Did, how did I do with that explanation of the lab leak versus the wet market? Thanks for asking. I thought, awesome. I actually have a question to jump off of Theodore that's along the same lines. Okay, go ahead. Thanks again. Oh, I just wanted to say as a, as a little guy and the scientist, uh, I'm also getting hit with people making demands that I make statements that are through a political lens that they want me to filter my, my, uh, like the science through. And I, I've yeah. quite, I've and, had and, enough. And, and, yeah, it's, it's enough. And, and, and I'm sure they want you to stop saying and speculating and, and things that may end up being true. They may end up being true. That's how we get to the truth. Oh my God. Anyway, I'm so, I'm so angry about it. Don't let this, them but. shame you. All right. <laughs> Thanks. We still have the FOIA in process, so as I, but that wasn't the reason for my my Colin. But okay. the, I I requested two years worth of batch data, and I requested the the guts of every batch analysis for the last two years from Pfizer. This will be interesting. So and, and then there's scientists on deck waiting to dissect that. Oh, fantastic. But uh, my question yeah. was, oh, it's going to be fine. It was just graphs, so just just uh, no yeah, no physical these, like these brother are guts. Very difficult to analyze. Yeah, so. Once you get, it'll be fine. All right. H five H five N one. Like we like. Uh, so my worry with H five N one, what theater was saying and what you were saying, is that we know that it has infected humans. Uh, the mm. avian flu H five N one, but it was direct contact. Yeah. And that it has a sixty percent mortality rate on yes. it. And my worry, and I don't know about yours, is that no one can trust the media anymore and if it does fully go to human mm. it's going to lower in the um oh, not the infectivity but in the the virulence and in, in yeah. how much it harms people yes or maybe but, somebody's gonna listen uh one of the th i forgot which scientists i was talking to but somebody said they'd had i think it was Li Meng, had contact with scientists in china and they said they were crying 
they were so upset about what was being done to extremely problematic viruses. And I immediately I thought Lhasa or Hanta or Ebola or H5N1. Those are viruses that if they, they do not have to a lot to, they could make them, the people don't understand the difference between a 5% or a 2% fatality rate and a 60% fatality rate. This is mind bogglingly different. So it, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm afraid of what might happen and I'm afraid of how we respond if something like that happens. My my worry is not about, about yours. Like I have a case of N99, some serious N99, and I have some PPE on hand because I'm I'm worried that okay, like masks are over, everything's over, and if H5N1 hits, uh, like we are going to get caught with our pants down on that one, and is, people if, won't know if, what to if, believe. If, if you're, and you're saying if it starts to be transmitted via aerosol, right? Yeah, yeah. and it'll probably go yeah. down to like even 10% virulence will be a a wipeout of humans. I don't want to think about that, Christy, but thank you for bringing Sorry. it up. So, <laughs> Sorry for so, the happy, so good. Uh, bring, the happy get, get those FOIA documents. Let's see what's going on with the vaccines we do have, all right? Thanks for your all time. Right, you Thanks bet. for thank everything. You. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for uh, welcoming Paulina to this uh, stream so kindly and uh, responding to her and your great questions and for listening to me today and my little diatribe that I put through there. Uh, Susan, any last-minute uh, thoughts? And Caleb was laughing at me much of the time. Caleb, you have anything you want to add Caleb, here? Caleb thinks you're funny. I, um, <laughs> I, I just wanted, I just want to say that I appreciate the fact that you really keep yourself together and you try to explain everything and you research. And when you're being told you're wrong, you try to make sure that you aren't wrong or you are wrong yeah. and you're willing to listen and change, Absolutely. which is something I don't see certain people doing. I don't see anybody doing and it. The and it, and it's, it's, it is, is, it is how you do things. Yeah, it's how attack, we get to the truth. The attacking and the leading of the witness and the, the shouting and the, you should be ashamed. And I used to like you before, you know, you, I used to respect you. It's like, it's like my mom used to say, you know, you know, keep it to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we live out, in this but, weird but, world where people feel they have to have their opinion has yes. to be impressed on the world. And and That's fortunately, weird. you don't you don't do that, and I appreciate that. Well, I'm trying to help, and part of trying to help means getting it right. And I don't uh, and, think people that that were attacking you are necessarily wrong. You're right. I mean, it. it I try to see both sides too. Yeah. But there it's was when some, the there shouting was some, starts listen, that I just Debunk the Funk sent me, spent time, answered my questions, and sent me some really good materials. I appreciate that. So whatever he says... Because he feels safe around you. You know, you're not going to go after him. Maybe you know? I will, but I have no reason to. And, and I appreciate him taking the time to send me some stuff. And it really was very, very Although useful. Although he, he's putting up some stuff on the internet that's kind of not nice about you well but then he should listen to what whatever. i just said and respond to that We're and see, it, and see it, if like that's whatever. in fact the case or maybe you should listen to him and then listen to me and see what's going on so there we are meryl nass tomorrow with kelly victory tomorrow pedro gonzalez we're going to talk a little bit about the uh the train derailment in Ohio. Michael Sanger on March 14th, he is an expert in China and has some interesting ideas. Uh, William Mackey's, I don't, I don't know who that is, on March 15th with Kelly Victory and March 22nd, Sasha Latipova. William These are Mackis. All, Mackis, William Mackis. These are all guests that Kelly has recommended and set up very kindly. And again, for those of you who uh, insist that I know exactly what's going on with these guests, I do not. Uh, and I make it, uh, it's, it's Kelly's recommendation and Susan's producing. 
I throw myself into the mix once. Yeah, these and are we're presented. you know we're opening our minds up to what Kelly has to say because she is on the show. Also, free speech is very important in my life. So I keep producing these shows and we keep throwing these guests at you. And you can, Drew will push back when he doesn't believe it. So yeah, the main criticism, I the only criticism that I've received that I found legitimate was to push back harder. So I'm trying to refine my positions. And so I can push back. You know what? Harder. I think lately you've been kind of just letting it fly a little bit. Yep. And I know yep. that you you've had yep. some thoughts about it after the show. So yeah, you need to definitely speak up when you're not agreeing with stuff. It's, it's hard, you know, that we have the delay here. And no, I know, and you want to be respectful. And yeah, so. and I, I, have a, I have a rule that guests get treated like guests. Uh, and so... Yeah, yeah, you know, well... That's just my rule. You got to speak your mind, though, my yeah. dear. Well, I will try to do so. Uh, and again... You need a little more strikes back. We have to get that thing <laughs> fired up Get some again. more strikes back. That's fine. <laughs> well, some of the stuff, some of the stuff that I'm hearing for the first time, I don't have an opinion on because I'm thinking, right. whoa, where did this come? This is kind of interesting. Where What is all this? And I don't really get to have an opinion about until I've thought about it for a while or researched other responses or other aspects of what they're presenting. So it's, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, I mean, and there's always a lot of information on these shows with these nerd, nerdy guys. You know, it's like they give you so much information. It's like, how do you stop and, you know, debate in the middle of their conversation? So it, it takes a couple of days to let it sink in. Yep. Yeah. So we will leave it with that. Caleb, what was that? These nerdy guys. You, you were laughing at me today about something. <laughs> what were you laughing at me about? No, no. I just, I had <laughs> uh, still laughing. Two, uh, two notes to mention here is that one yeah. is that people, whenever you get to have a guest that's controversial and they come back for a second show, you speak up a lot more mm. then because you've gotten a lot more familiar with their points and what they're saying and you yeah. have a lot more responses. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have, it's not like you're, you're afraid to cross it. them. You've thought about it and they come back and you have responses yeah. to what they presented in the first episode. My second point mm -hmm. is, Writers do not write their own headlines, their own titles, their own descriptions. So anyone who's getting mad at you for the titles of these shows needs to come at me and needs it's to come Caleb. at Susan because that okay, come at me. All right, I so don't write them. Get you me. Do. <laughs> I write you. Oh, yeah, I wrote Caleb and Susan. I don't write the guests, but. And by the way, when I was getting picked on, I was not interested in throwing you guys under the bus. You know, uh, I, and you no, are really right. good at that. So thank you for speaking up. Yeah, but uh, it, yeah. that has to be said that there have been well, a did. few, <laughs> at least a few opportunities where you have gotten some bad press slamming you over something that you actually didn't do. It was someone on your team that put it up, or I wrote I the title or but, something. But here's and here's you have not thrown us under the bus. You have never thrown us. I used under to the write bus. the headlines for by Dose it. of Doctor so, Drew, and they they. They cited yeah, a couple I appreciate of them. The, I appreciate you pointing that out because I really wasn't going to do that to you guys. But the other, there's a fallacy here is that I should be responsible for every word uttered on this show, every headline, every advertisement. And it's just not the way it works. There's, first of all, there's two doctors. There's a producer and a producer, you guys. And I am and a the booker, one, I'm, throwing my, and I'm throwing myself into this. And yeah, I guess I'm the public facing part of this. But I am not in any way, I, I cannot be responsible for every word that somebody says. I, I just can't. And I can try to do my best to push back and corral and make things get, get things again towards the truth and, of course, do no harm as best I can. And then Caleb can put up the disclaimer. Yeah. yeah and, Keep yeah. doing that, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. Saved it, us. It's admirable. You, you've had many opportunities that you could have just said, oh, my team did this, and you didn't. Like, you took the heat for it. So, yeah. That, and, yeah. And by the way, I don't. Leader. Because ah, they're did. partially right that it's I okay, should. Yeah. I'm responsible for what's going on here, but I'm not solely responsible for it. And and, and the uh, 
the thing on, uh, you know, I don't every time hydroxychloroquine early treatment is brought up, I don't go, I, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't like that. I don't right. see evidence for that. I can do that every time it gets brought up. I do not. And because I don't do that doesn't make this a dangerous program. It makes it a good program. And there's just certain realities about doing something like this that it just is one of the realities of uh, a public discussion. So there we are, uh, that people wish to watch. Watch and uh, being attacked, uh, you don't always say the right thing at that moment. It's like you're you're put on your heels, and it's like, oh, how am I supposed to respond respond to this? Oh, so, it's shocking. It's it's it, disorienting. Well, we were like, we were at the montage, and I was I, in I was the bar invented, having a drink, a, and you were in the bathroom or something. I was invited by someone who a colleague who I'd reached out to repeatedly. I when my colleagues attack me on Twitter, my immediate move is I reach out and I say, please let's get on the phone. Let's be collegial. This is ridiculous. We won't disagree on that much anyway. Let's be let's be let's be let's represent our profession professionally well there's a group of cowards out there that refuse to get on the phone and this particular coward actually hoodwinked me into this ambush and there you go that's what's happened to my profession it's fantastic <laughs> yes. so we will leave it at that and see you tomorrow at three o'clock pacific time Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Mm -hmm.